I enjoyed your mewling, whining, three-time loser piece. Wait, Jeannie? The crackhead who taped a woman hand and foot and mouth with duct tape and left her? Did you offer him a bed at your place? Okay, I don't I don't know what we're talking about. Sorry, I'm just, I'm rereading a couple of messages I got from this dude during the 2016 presidential campaign. <laughs> about why? About what? <laughs> so he just, he tweeted a bunch of garbage at me about the story I did that was, I mean, at the time, the story was like a decade old. Mm. But this dude still went through the trouble of finding the story and then finding me online just so he could harass me about it. Oh, he's got time. Right? right? And you think he has something better to do with that time. You'd think. What the hell is going through this dude's mind when they do this stuff? I mean, I don't know. I I really don't know. I've never I've never trolled anybody online, so I can't even <laughs> Good. guess. Good. That that makes you like twenty seven thousand times cooler in my book. And I thought you were cool already. Oh, thank you. Mm. Well, I know you've never trolled anybody, and I think no. you're super cool too. Thank you. <laughs> but there is somebody who has trolled people online before who we could talk to. That we know? Yeah. No. I mean the random guy from the internet. Uh, welcome back, bro. Listen, I'm not going to be able to make the game tonight. Oh, why? Well, I have to go out into the streets and scream obscenities at women that I don't even know. And then after that, I got to handwrite letters to all the Golden Girls telling them that I'm going to shit down their throats. And then after that, I got to bring these naked photos of my ex-wife to her office and show them to everyone that she works with because she's such a bitch. It's going to take hours. Hey, we can do all of that before we go. Yeah, right. No, with the internet. Look, it's easy. Okay, obviously, obviously this is a joke. But is it? Mm -hmm. So this was from John Oliver's show on HBO. It's one of my favorites called Last Week Tonight, where he was talking about sexist online harassment. And it looks like online harassment is increasing overall. That's according to studies done by the Pew Research Center in both 2014 and 2017. Which brings me to one of my favorite games. Guess who experiences bad things more often? Oh, God. First question. Guess who gets more harassment targeted around their identities? Is it women, queer people, and people of color? Yeah, we got to start getting, like, gift bags so you can be more excited. Because <laughs> ding, 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 you're correct. And it sucks. It does. Um, but we're not here to just wallow in that suckiness. No, no, no. No way. You use social media, right, Jeannie? Absolutely. For work, right? Yes. And I use social media for work. Yes. So many of us use social media for work. Totally. So we've got stories and amazing tactics to push back against online harassment. In fact, we have so many tactics, we broke this episode into a two-parter. I know. We'll drop part two tomorrow, so check your BTSW feed. And we'll get to it. Let's go. This is Battle Tactics for your sexist workplace. I'm Eula Scott Bino. I'm Jeannie Yandel. And yes, the internet is sexist. Even if you've never been trolled on Twitter. And even if you, like me, and this is true, don't have a smartphone. We're basically doing a two-part episode on the random guy from the internet aren't we? Well, yes and no. The random guy from the internet just yells his argument about why some facet of sexism either doesn't exist or is the fault of women experiencing it, right? Girl, that's your fault. Uh, targeted online harassment is different. Right. For one thing, online harassment is basically a personal attack or a specific threat meant for just one person. You. But that doesn't necessarily mean the people who run those online platforms think those targeted attacks or threats are a problem worth solving. For example, last month, political commentator Rochelle Ritchie reported death threats to Twitter. And Twitter responded saying they didn't think the threat was a violation of their terms. 
And now it turns out the dude making the threats is the same dude who allegedly sent pipe bombs to CNN and the Clintons and the Obamas. And Auntie Maxine. Right. I mean, that's a new level of scary. What we're trying to say is, yes, online harassment is a growing problem. But the problem is demonstrably worse for women and people of color. And the online harassers who come after women and queer people and people of color don't just make physical threats. They often use their targets race and gender to make their comments specific and especially ugly. They'll tell me that I'm self-hating, that I'm uh, white brainwashed. They'll tell me that I hate Asians, that I hate Asian men. This is novelist Celeste Ng. Over the past four years, she's gotten a lot of online harassment about being an Asian-American woman who married a non-Asian man and had a child with him, you know, living her own life. Right. And these harassers, these harassers go after her child, too. They'll tell me that my child either has mental illness already or is going to grow up to be Mm. mentally ill. They'll tell me that my son will grow up to be the next Elliot Roger, who is a mass shooter uh, out in California. He was part Asian and part white, and he left behind a manifesto blaming partly his his mixed heritage and then partly uh, his inability to get a date for the shootings that he did. To say these waves of harassment overwhelm Celeste sometimes is an understatement. I think one of the best analogies that I have is that it feels like you are in a storm, you have no shelter, these messages are coming in to your phone, you know, you've got hundreds of Twitter notifications, um, you get emails sometimes that crosses platforms, and there's no way to escape. And the worst of it is you know this is not rational, but you can't stop thinking about it. You can not check your email, right, but you maybe you need to do that for work. You can turn off Twitter, turn off Facebook. But you know those messages are piling up. And then outside, the, you know, around you, the world is going on like normal. You know, you see your coworkers, you see people outside at the store. No one has any idea about the sort of stuff that's going on in your inbox. And you know it's there. And it, it's, it's a sort of trauma response, I think, that you start to feel paranoid. You know, you start to go, is, is everyone thinking that about me? You know, um, you know that's not true, but that's your response. You know, it's the thing that you have to sort of fight against on top of dealing with the harassment. Mm-hmm. Celeste, you're a novelist. So why do you need platforms like Twitter for your work? What does that bring you as a writer? This is a good question and one that I've, <laughs> I've been asking myself over the past month or so. Uh, I got on Twitter originally when I sold my first book a little bit before that. Twitter is a good place for a writer to build what they call a platform. Um, I didn't think about this as part of my job, but a lot of times now creative writers will be asked by their publishers to create a platform by which they mean have a presence on social media of some kind, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, have a way to interact with your fans and for fans to reach you. Um, that seems to be part of the the deal of what we expect of writers now, that we expect them to be accessible in some way. And so I've, I joined Twitter for that, and to my surprise, I actually really like Twitter. It is a great place to get to connect with readers. For me, it's a great place to connect with other writers and with writers and people that I admire um, like as, a, as a fan and a reader myself. Uh, writing is a really isolating job a lot of the time. I work at home in my house, usually alone. And this is sort of my equivalent of the office water cooler, where I can go for some social interaction, hear what people are talking about, um, joke with people, you know, catch up on the news, all that sort of stuff. So for me, it's it's been a professional uh, boon, but it's also um, a personal and kind of intellectual sort of oasis to go to. What other positives do you get from social media? You just laid out a really kind of 
lovely experience for the most part. (laughs) Mostly, it is really lovely. I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about whether the internet and social media are, are, you know, good or bad. And I think they're really much more like a tool, like a hammer. It kind of depends how you use it. You can use it to build things or you can use it to smash things. And um, most of the time, I have a really positive experience with social media. It's not for everyone, but if you find one that works for you, it can be a really great place to meet people and interact and, in fact, get new ideas. One of the things that I love about Twitter is that it's a place that reminds me frequently how smart and funny and kind and also just weird people are. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can follow all kinds of accounts. Um, you know, there's there's an account that I follow who, uh, you know, the persona is a, a, a fictional um, like 17th century duchess. And but she just tweets about books and she t- tweets about what's going on. Um, you know, there are delightful people like Lin-Manuel Miranda who just make me want to get down to the desk and get to work. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other writers who are tweeting about things that they find interesting. And so I get a lot of intellectual stimulation from Twitter. So there is a lot of positive for me um, just, you know, as a, as a person, but it also feeds my writing. Hmm. Yeah. Celeste, you talked a little bit earlier about who's trolling you. It's pretty much men and sometimes it's Asian men. Why do you think they're trolling you, though? I know it's hard to get in somebody else's head, but why do you think they're doing this? I spend a lot of time thinking about this because one of my jobs as a writer, I think, is to to extend empathy and to try and think about what it's like to be other people. In the case of the Asian men, I think that it is because it's hard to be an Asian man. They deal with a lot of really real and serious issues. They're disempowered. Our culture, at least here in the U.S., tends to portray them as socially awkward or sexually undesirable. And that is a terrible position for them to be in. And I think that in some ways they're lashing out. They, they, They believe that they're punching down and trying to control Asian women and who they can take as partners. They don't see it that way, but that's my, you know, my sense of what's happening with them. Uh, other men, I think in some ways it it has to do with a sense of, of power, really. Um, I've gotten a lot of trolling uh, and harassing from white supremacist groups, essentially. And they're they're quite upfront about it. You know, they'll they'll put Nazi flags in their profiles or, um, you know, Nazi ideology in their little, you know, profile name. And I think a lot of that is sort of about feeling like you're losing your power, because if you were a white man up until very recently in our country, you were totally in charge. And now to feel that other people are getting some say in what's going on can feel like a loss of power if you've always been in power. And I think that's part of it. Understanding that doesn't necessarily make it easier to take, but in some ways it helps me sort of shape what my response, if any, is going to be. Right. Yeah. Hurt people hurt people. Right. Exactly. And and then hurt people hurt people more. And it just goes around in a in a circle. It's a mm-hmm. it's a very vicious cycle. So do you act do you ever interact with them at all? I do sometimes. It's gotten harder uh, in the recent year or so because um, my Twitter follower count has increased quite a lot. When I was around 10,000 followers, I really made a point of trying to interact with the trolls um, and to do so with empathy. That this time it was right before the 2016 election and I would get a lot of white supremacists and a lot of Trump supporters with some overlap between those groups. But they would... They would attack me and, you know, they would tell me that I needed to go back to China and, I, you know, I was born here. So there's right. it's not really going back. I can go back to Pittsburgh, um, right. which is where I was right. born. You know, it's those those kinds of comments. They would call me racial slurs. I learned some new slurs that I hadn't been aware of. I had to Google what they were calling me. 
Mm. But I would, yeah, it's that sort of thing. And I'm certainly not alone in this. And I would try to respond to them as empathetically as I could. I would say, you know, I'm I'm really sorry you seem to feel that I'm a threat. I'm not a threat to you, and I hope that you understand that. Or I'd say, I see that in your profile you say you're a dad, and I hope no one ever treats your kids that way. Good mm. luck. Such and a I good would, response. I would, I would do that, and then I would mute them. Um, and I did that for a couple reasons. First, because uh, when I just tried ignoring them, it didn't feel good to me. It felt in some ways like I was being silenced, and that was what they wanted. Um, it also didn't work, frankly. A lot of times when I ignored them, they would come back and then they would say things like, I see you don't have any response or they'd call in their friends to bother me more. So this was really not, you know, that strategy of uh, ignore the bullies and they'll go away. It really, it wasn't going away. And then I, I realized as I started to talk about the harassment that a lot of other women said, oh my God, this happened to me and I thought I was the only one. And I had thought I was the only one. And so I realized it was kind of important in some ways to let people know this was happening because one of the things that harassment does and and what I think the harassers want to do is they want to make you feel alone. And if you can fight that and say, actually, I'm not alone and there's all these other women who do this and I'm going to tell people what's happening, it increases the support for you and it, it does make you feel less alone. And then finally, I wanted to kind of give one example of ways that I could see people responding with empathy, um, maybe as a pattern. I learned it from watching other people. Uh, Amanda Nelson, who is one of the editors of a book website called Book Riot, um, frequently would respond to her trolls, and I would sort of watch what she did and, and you know, pattern some of my responses after her. Uh, Roxane Gay, who's a writer, critic, and uh, like superwoman, basically. Um, <laughs> she literally has in her Twitter profile, I clap back. <laughs> Yeah. I know she does. She exactly. Um, and, and she does. And sort of from her, I, you know, I learned in you know some ways of clapping back. And, you know, you have to find your own sort of comfort point. But for me, for a while anyway, responding to those trolls, I don't want to call them trolls even because I, I think that that downplays what it is that they do. They really are harassing you. Right. Um, responding to those harassers, at least in that way, made me feel like I wasn't losing control of the situation. I was like, no, here's what I think of you. And now I will mute you. Huh. Yeah. Um, I, I don't do that so much anymore because the volume has just increased so much. Um, and it was starting, it was honestly, it was starting to take a toll on me. Um, it's good to try and be the bigger person. I think we all have to keep trying, but sometimes you just need a break. Um, yeah. and if you can't respond with empathy, then sometimes I think you just have to not respond at all. Yeah. Mm. So have you been able to make sense of these people? You know, like you, we don't want to call them trolls. We're these harassers. Like, what do you think of these people and these guys or these folks? I, I honestly feel a lot of pity for them because I think that they are dealing with a lot of shit. I can say shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> they can. Uh, you know, and they are. Um, you know, I, I didn't. It, it is. It's shit. It's they're dealing with, you know, in their lives that I think for them to act this way must mean that they have been badly hurt before, you know, and that they feel like everyone is against them. Uh, the problem is that I'm not their enemy, even if they think that I am. And they're not my enemy, even if they think that they are. But one of the things that's been hardest for me is accepting that I may not be able to help them. Um, wow. I am by nature and and by, you know, training and, and cultural training, uh, societal training, uh, a, a, a helper and a fixer and a pleaser. I really want to try and help other people and I l try to listen. And it's really hard for me to say, you know what, this is not a place where I think that I can reach you. Um, and that's that's really tough. Wow. I am just as a human being in the world, 
deeply grateful that you are thinking that much about how to respond with empathy and wanting to help. So I just, I don't hear that often enough. So thanks. (laughs) And I'm wanting to tell you that it's not your job. (laughs) No, and, and And you're both right, right? I mean, this is the sort of thing that I think especially women have to deal with, um, and then women of color in particular, too, that we're taught that we need to kind of tend to everybody's emotional needs. And like you said, mm-hmm. that's not really our job. But on the other hand, I also think, well, somebody has to do it. And it doesn't mean it has to be us, but it, that's the dilemma, right? right. Um, I it, What I've come around to is trying to find some way to make this make something positive come out of it. So you'd asked before about when how I would respond to trolls. And there was a period um, where if if the trolling got really bad and, you know, I was really just getting sort of mobbed, I used to make a very small donation to some cause that was opposed to what those trolls were doing. So if it was white supremacists, I would say to them, you know, I would retweet them publicly and I would say, hey, I just want to let you know that for every comment like this I get, I'm going to donate, you know, 10 bucks to the Southern Poverty Law Center or to the ACLU. You Mm -hmm. know, if they were misogynist, I would say, I'm donating to Planned Parenthood for you. And then I would say, and the total so far is $10. And then the next one would come in and, um, you know, they'd, they'd say this. And I was like, great, well, I'm doing this again. So here's 20. And it's amazing how quickly... The harassment stopped, wow. um, which said something to me that it was they were willing to do it for free. But if, if it was going to actually involve any sort of if there was going to be any effect of it, you know, it wasn't even them paying the money. It was me. They didn't want money to go to these causes and they stopped. It wasn't worth, you know, the 50 or 100 bucks that <laughs> Planned Parenthood or Southern Poverty Law Center would get for them to keep harassing me. That's um, mm-hmm. So I, I learned that, honestly, from uh, Amanda Nelson, who I mentioned before, one of the editors at Book Riot. One of her jobs, at least at the time, was dealing with some of the commenters and people who would come after the Book Riot social media accounts. And I thought that was brilliant because even if, if you, you know, you can't, it's not your job, right? At least you can be doing something good. This thing is inspiring you to put good elsewhere. Um, and that feels somewhat better to me. Mm, yeah. It's a way of, of coping with it. I can see that. Celeste, earlier you talked about how somebody has to respond to the world with empathy. And a lot of the time we as women kind of get conditioned or pushed into doing that. We're expected to do it. I mean, what do you think about the fact that you have novelist colleagues who are men who don't have to deal with this, who have not given responding to jerks on Twitter this much thought because they don't have to? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I I just I wonder what that would be like. I feel like they would have so much spare time. I think of all the things I would get done if I wasn't doing this. Um, you know, in all seriousness, I I'm really get angry when I think about how much time I and, you know, many other women must have spent dealing with this. You know, I I waste plenty of time on Twitter on my own of my own accord. But I'm thinking like, you know, I could have written another manuscript at this point um, in the time that I you know have spent doing this. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I think it is, uh, like you said, it's a it's a place where we have to respond with empathy, but it can't just be women and it can't just be the targets of this harassment who are uh, who are responding to the harassment. I think it has to be a larger community response and a larger sort of cultural shift, because that's really what what we're we're fighting here is we're trying to change a culture. And so I've been really heartened when I talk to, you know, uh, male writers, for example, and they go, oh, I didn't realize that. And I'm like, great, now you do. Like, you know, now be with us. I think there's a parallel there to the conversation that's going around about sexual harassment and sexual assault with the Me Too movement that we realize this is not just a problem 
for women, and it's not just a problem for women who have been victims of assault. It's a problem that we all have to deal with because it's actually hurting all of us. And even people who don't feel they're affected, don't feel that they're causing the problem, I think they still have a role to play in speaking out against it and in in fighting it and finding a solution. Absolutely. Mm. We can't do this alone. No. Well, as you're talking about, I mean, one of the results of having those compounded burdens on you is just bailing, is walking away from Twitter, right? I mean, it's really easy to come up with a list of people who have just decided to not be part of social media anymore, right? Kelly Marie Tran wiped her Instagram profile. Exactly. Lindy West. Yeah. Um, Maggie Haberman from the New York Times consciously left Twitter for a while. She was uh, very clear about why. You lose a lot if you lose that kind of diversity. Um, Mm -hmm. If you are not having those diverse voices there and those different viewpoints, we're all going to suffer, even if the people harassing us don't think so. Mm. And then we're also losing, I think, the possibility of shifting the culture because one of the things that shifts the culture is having all those voices become part of the the mainstream and the norm. So if you never have somebody like Leslie Jones, if you never have somebody like Lindy West or Kelly Marie Tran um, talking, you kind of, you know, they're not visible, they're not represented, and then you start thinking like, oh, there's nobody like that. That's not that's not a usual voice. That's an outlier. Right. We never give them the chance to kind of become, you know, part of the mainstream. I love that argument. Yeah. That places like Twitter need our voices. They need our perspectives. Yes. <laughs> and coming up, Celeste has loads of tactics to keep us there and keep online harassers from continuing to trash the whole place. Celeste Ng already mentioned a couple of personal tactics she's employed. Allow us to demonstrate with... Ah! A random harasser from the internet. Ugh, this is gross. So he just tweeted that he hates the podcast and that I sound like a... What? I know. Damn it, Gary. Ugh. Oh, Ah, there he is again. Ugh, let's mute him. So if you mute a random internet harasser, they won't be in your timeline anymore, but they still follow you. And if they DM you or mention you, you will see that. I don't want to see that. Yeah, fair. Oh my god, come on, some other random internet harasser just tweeted at me. Jesus, this guy's relentless and he's got his followers harassing me too. This is insane. Let's block these trolls. Nice. But that doesn't take care of that random internet harasser's followers. Or all the other random internet harassers out there, for that matter. Gross. Fortunately, Celeste has some tactics for that. I subscribe to some block lists, which means that they're lists that basically you can tell Twitter to block all those people for you. Um, And so there'll be people who are um, kind of like known or flagged by enough people at Twitter's user interface to to say, yeah, yeah, they're probably not people you want to hear. They might be white supremacists, you know. Um, you know, people where you're, you know, enough people have said, this is this is the kind of message they do. You can have Twitter block that. Um, so there's a, a great account called Block Together. You can go to and you can basically kind of subscribe to that list and it'll block them for you. There's a tool called Block Chain, which is helpful. Uh, you have to 
deploy it with care, but it will allow you to block a person and all of their followers. Oh, wow. Um, so you, you have to be careful with it. But this is a case where if you have somebody, again, who is, let's say, clearly a racist white supremacist who's, who's sending you death threats and they're followed by you know 12 people, you can block all 12 of those people. And what that does is it sort of helps prevent this pile-on effect. A lot of times people uh, will ask their followers to come and harass people alongside them, and that sort of prevents that from happening. One of the problems is that all of these tactics, of course, have the burden on the user, the person who's trying not to get harassed. There isn't a good solution for that yet, unfortunately, um, until Twitter and Facebook take some proactive action on the company side. So, okay, Celeste, so, you know, let's just say you now have control of the Internet. <laughs> um, and you're making all of the decisions. Yeah, it's and you be get to, so great. and you can laugh as evil as you want, or you can, you know, you can sparkle if you'd like. So, uh, how would you design it? I, I'm thinking about. I, I'm immediately <laughs> like limited in terms of like my my like slight cynicism about human nature. I think one thing that um, makes the internet tempting to use for bad things, let's say, is that it really allows people to forget that there are people on the other side of the computer. Yeah. And so when they're harassing someone, or even if it's not to the level of harassment, even if it is honest to god trolling, defined as I'm just trying to annoy you for shits and giggles, I think people tend to forget that that is an actual person. And so I don't know if I were in charge of the Internet, I would have to have some way to make people remember that this was a person. Like maybe if they said something bad, I would flash a picture of that person, you know, with their kid or their dog or their pet or something like that. Remind, you know, obviously there's all kinds of other problems that would (laughs) arise in that imaginary (laughs) scenario. But um, something that reminds reminds a user that there is an actual human being on the other side. It's. It's one of the strengths of the Internet that it lets you communicate with people far, far away. The downside is that they're still far, far away and it, you can lose that sense of empathy. Um, you know, maybe every time maybe every time you sent a, a, a mean or harassing tweet or every time a man sent a picture of his dick to a woman who didn't ask for it, it would immediately be sent to his wife, right. his mother, Hell and yeah. his grandmother <laughs> and his boss. You know, something yeah. like that. Just to remind you, like, you know what, like... Don't be a dick. What you're doing is not, you know, how you're supposed to behave in society and probably how many of those men don't behave to most of the women in their lives. Just Mm -hmm. in this one corner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very, I feel like it's a very low bar, right? Yeah. So maybe, yeah, if I'm I'm the the goddess of the internet, maybe that would be one of the things I would do is that like if you send, you know, a misogynist message to a woman, um, you know, calling her a terrible name or something like that. Maybe you just get like a very mild electric shock. Um, (laughs) Something to remind you that's not okay. Don't do that. We're deciding you're the goddess of the internet, Celeste Ng. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> well, I, I will happily like share and delegate that power to it. We'll have like a little sort of like a goddess matriarchy happening. Oh, I'm so into that. <laughs> oh, Celeste Ng, author of the books, Everything I Never Told You and Little Fires Everywhere. And goddess of the internet, we look forward to your coming matriarchy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this episode. Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace is a production of KUOW in Seattle. This episode was produced and edited by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Special thanks to Jim Gates, Kyle Norris, and Maya Ina. Brendan Sweeney is our managing producer. Our theme music was composed by Kessia Gordon. Our podcast was inspired by the book Feminist Fight Club by Jessica Bennett. I'm Jeannie Yandel. I'm Eula Scott Bino. Keep up the good fight. We'll see you next time. Which is tomorrow! Yay!
Yay! For part two of this episode with Atlantic writer Taylor Lorenz. Yay. The internet actually kind of gave Taylor her career as a reporter. The internet literally... I wouldn't have my life without the internet. Like, if I didn't discover Tumblr, I would have been depressed and probably still working at a call center. 